Greetings, Gente Puente! We are a community of Gente Puente building bridges between God and His people and between different cultures and languages. In today's program, Susana Solorza shares with us her experience of being a madrina, following the madrina model from Notre Dame, to help increase enrollment of Hispanic students in Catholic schools. Then we will hear from the superintendent, Anne Flaherty, about the background work that went into implementing the madrina's program. Si no tienes ninguna idea de lo que acabo de decir, no te preocupes. El podcast Gente Puente tiene episodios en inglés y otros en español. Si no eres bilingüe, todavía puedes leer la entrevista y ver todos los recursos de hoy en las notas del programa, que se encuentran en paticc.com diagonal S2. No quieres perder este episodio sobre los esfuerzos que han ayudado a aumentar el número de estudiantes hispanos que se inscriban en las escuelas católicas. I'm Patty Gutierrez from Patty's Catholic Corner. We're a team with experience in ministry who provide Catholic translations from English to Spanish or from Spanish to English. I'm your host for these interviews. This podcast is for you if you are a leader in Catholic ministry. Here you will hear interviews about the Hispanic Latino ministry best practices from all over the country to get practical ideas, strategies, and resources that can help you and your ministry. You will also receive encouragement from other ministers who understand all the joys and the struggles that come with ministry. But before I start, I want to tell you about a free ebook that I've put together for Catholic ministers who have been raised in the prevailing culture in the United States and they would like to understand Hispanic Latino culture better to serve that population in their ministries. You can find it and all the resources mentioned in this episode and a summary of the episode in English and Spanish in the show notes found at pattycc.com slash two. If you want to join the conversation in real time and see what's coming in the next episodes, come join our private Facebook group. Just look for Gente Puente on Facebook to find us and be part of the group. Today is a bonus episode being published on the first day of Hispanic Heritage Month. It's a little longer than most episodes will be since I decided to include two interviews on this topic. After all, it's a bonus episode... As I said in the beginning, we are going to hear from Susana Solorza. She serves as something called a madrina in a Catholic school. It is a concept put forth by Notre Dame University's Alliance for Catholic Education to help Catholic schools in the U.S. recruit and retain Latino families in Catholic schools. You can find out more about the program in the show notes. After talking with Susie, I decided to also invite the superintendent, Anne Flaherty, to share her experience of bringing the Madrina's model to the Diocese of Owensboro. So stay tuned and you will hear from her as well. Also, I apologize for some of the small audio issues that we had while recording. Hey, I'm still trying to get the hang of this, okay? But I promise each episode, it will be better. It will sound better and better. Now, let's listen to my conversation with Susana Solorza, Catholic School Madrina. Welcome, Susana. I'm so glad you're able to be on the Gente Puente podcast. Hi, I'm very, very excited to be here. Thanks. I'm going to start us off with a little prayer. Okay. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, we come before you so grateful for all the many blessings that you've given us 
and especially the gift of serving in your church. We know that we are not perfect, and so we thank you for your mercy and for choosing to work through our broken humanity. Lord Jesus, you prayed that we would be one as you and the Father are one. Pour out your Spirit as we strive to be gente puente, uniting the body of Christ. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in us the fire of your love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, Susie, it's so exciting to get to talk to you today. I'm, I really can't wait to hear more about the project you're going to share with us. But first, can you tell our listeners a little about you? I know you. We've been friends and colleagues for years. But uh, let's tell the audience a little about you, your background, your vocation, how you're connected to Hispanic ministry, and what you're up to right now. Awesome. Okay. Well, I just want to say thank you for for inviting me, and I'm really excited about this. I'm really excited about how you are intentionally trying to make this work and and get the message out. I I really appreciate that as someone working in Hispanic ministry. Um, But yeah, my name is Susana Solorza. I am originally from El Paso, Texas. Uh, I'm Mexican-American, and um, my family... Um, is right now all over the place, but um, we started out um, in a little town. My mom is from Anahuac, Chihuahua, and my dad was born and raised in Texas, but his his family's from Chihuahua, so we're all from the state of Chihuahua. And uh, we moved to Kentucky back in 2002, and um, that was definitely a culture shock for us because in El Paso, it's uh, about 80% Hispanic, um, maybe more or less now, but when I was, when I was there, that's what it was. And so I grew up hearing Spanish. I grew up, I mean, I didn't know I was Latina, Latino until I was out of there because everyone else was. And so I, I come here to the state of Kentucky and, um, definitely, definitely the minority. And so, um, came to Holy Name Parish and Holy Name School but also St. Michael's Parish in Seabree because St. Michael's offered a mass in Spanish um, every Sunday and Holy Name only offered it once a month. So my parents were adamant that we still hear mass in Spanish. So then graduated from Holy Name School, um, went to Owensboro Catholic Middle School and went on to Western Kentucky University. Um, I was able to get my bachelor's there in cultural anthropology and Spanish. And so when I graduated, I said, what the heck do I do with this degree? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was actually during the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, I had somebody from the diocese approach me. They had received this grant um, for a Hispanic lay leader. What position? Director of Hispanic Youth and Young Adult Ministry. And... I had been involved as far as a youth in um, youth ministry, but I had never been the minister. Um, And so I was excited, uh, but very nervous to undertake this. And, um, but I said yes and um, jumped right in. And I had a lot of colleagues like yourself that were very patient and very (laughs) kind with me um, and, and helped me kind of navigate the waters of, of what that was. At that time, um, I know you and a lot of people had been growing Hispanic ministry in our diocese um, on the parish level, but also on the diocesan level. And so then we had Chris come into the office, your husband, um, as director of Hispanic ministry. So we worked together. And then 
on another feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, um, <laughs> the principal of Holy Name School approached me um, at the time, the principal at the time, and approached me and she asked me um, if I would like to teach at Holy Name. And I thought, well, I've never done this either. <laughs> go to our lady of guadalupe masses or celebrations because i don't know what i'm gonna be asked no but i um i had heard and this is the holy spirit acting too i had heard in my in growing up you should be a teacher like from from other kids from grown-ups at grown-ups at the time from adults um they had said oh you're you're good at teaching or Oh, that made sense when you said it. Or I had always heard that, and I thought, no, I don't, I don't want to be a teacher. That's weird. Um, but I, I listened, and I said, oh, I'm being asked point blank if this is something I want to do. And yeah, that's awesome. So, what's your role there, or what do you do there? So I am the, and that, so that's where I am now. I am the Spanish teacher at Holy Name School in Henderson, Kentucky. I teach kindergarten through eighth grade, and for um, seventh and eighth graders, I teach a high school level course. And then on top of that, I am also kind of the the liaison for the Hispanic community. And as far as that, I help administration um, with uh, Hispanic families, anything that has to that you do through the office. And then I'm kind of um, the voice in the sense that if a Hispanic family needs something and wants to communicate something to administration or faculty and staff, um, I, I'm the one who gets that message across. Awesome. Thank you. Well, that will get us into the project that you're going to share with us. But before that, tell us about your vocation and your growing family. Yeah, so my I'm very excited. My vocation. Um, sometimes I, I say my vocation of marriage came through my vocation of motherhood because I did know that ever since <laughs> I was little, I knew I wanted to be uh, be a mom. Um, and maybe that's because I'm an older sister, but I'm I'm one of five, and I'm the oldest girl, so I'm very bossy. And um, I, I think my vocation of marriage came through that. I'm and how long have you been married now? We have been married for four years now, just this past August 8th. Right. We've been married for four years and still very much about family. We now have a son, um, Santiago. He is eight months old, and um, we're so lucky to be here in Henderson. It, it, it's a small town, but we have his parents. We have my parents. Um, we're, we're very spoiled um, new parents because we have a ton, a ton of help. Um, but yes, and that's how, that's what my vocation is. And I, and I think I bring that into, uh, my ministry as well. Teaching, I think is once again, very much about a, a maternal instinct. And, uh, so I'm playing off, off those gifts and talents that, that I have to, to make it work. Nice. So explain to us a little bit about the Madrina project or Madrina project that you're wanting to share with us. Tell us what it is and how are you involved? Yeah, when I started at the diocese, um, the diocese had even um, talked about the Madrinas program that Notre Dame had put out. They um, had been trying, They, the diocese, the superintendent at the time, and the assistant superintendent were trying to figure out how to increase Hispanic enrollment in our Catholic schools. Um, so they looked at Holy Name, and Holy Name had had more Hispanic families than other schools in the diocese. And so 
they kind of had talked to Holy Name as far as priests, the pastors that were there, administration that was there at the time, and kind of seeing what was working. And it was actually reflecting exactly what um, Notre Dame was coming out with, which was the Madrinas program. And, and this program is one that is based on the, I guess, the principles of relationship that we have in Hispanic mm-hmm. communities and the importance of relationship. And that's how, that's how word gets out. Um, that's how we team up and we make things work. But so the Madrinas program, what its intention is, it's for someone in the Hispanic community connected to both the school and the community that can okay. function in both cultures and function in both languages um, kind of becomes this representative and um, works within the school, not necessarily a teacher. I think my position is as an educator and a madrina, kind of both. Mm -hmm. Um, But the the original... So it's not always a paid staff person in the school. Yeah, the madrina isn't always a paid staff person. The madrina could be a, um, a family that has been in in um, the school system or that school for a while and knows the school Mm -hmm. and that um, it can be just someone, just really anyone in the community that just could take the time and would take this on. It doesn't have to be a paid um, employee. Uh, Sometimes Mm -hmm. they do employ them as far as like a secretary that is bilingual so that she can function in both. uh, She or he, excuse me, can function in both. Um, but sometimes it is just family members, uh, parents of students, grandparents of students that have been in in um, in the school system, but are also in the community. I think that's very important because there has to be this trust factor. So we'll link in the show notes to that uh, model in the book about it. Yeah. But did you go to a training or how did you learn about that? So I didn't actually get to go to the training. Um, Anne Flaherty, she was doing a lot. She was the assistant superintendent at the time when I was with the diocese. Mm-hmm. She was doing a lot with it. So she, working with Holy Name Administration at the time, um, were able to get linked up with the actual program um, that was going out through Notre Dame. And they sent the principal and an administrator, or excuse me, a teacher. They sent the the administrator, which was the principal, and then a teacher to Notre Dame mm-hmm. from Holy Name, and they went to okay. trainings and they heard. But none of that, neither neither the principal or the teacher were Hispanic um, mm-hmm. or bilingual. They were um, just trying to go learn about it to see how they could one help our families that we already had and then um, increase our enrollment. And so they had gone, and I just had, bas- I just got the information from them. So any information, because mm-hmm. then, then I came in after they had already gone. And so I have received um, basically all the material that they did as far as uh, program information, um, witness talks, all that they, they gave to me so that I would have it. But I haven't actually been able to go to Notre Dame. Um, I'm hoping to be able to, but I I have not yet. Yeah. So you said something about supporting the families that you already, they already had at Holy Name and then increased enrollment of Hispanic families. Is there some, anything else that you would say was a goal of having the Madrinas program? Um, I think it was also to, to create a community 
that was intentional about unity in the sense that it wasn't our Hispanic students or our Hispanic families and then our Anglo families. It was just another family in our parish or school. And, but they just, we just communicate with them a little bit differently. I mean, and, and that's, for example, some parents respond more with email or some parents respond more um, when you send something home in their child's folder. Our parents, you just have to send me an email and I'll, I'll get it to them and, and that's how they respond. And so trying to um, identify and appreciate um, about creating this community and appreciating the diversity that our families have And so um, trying to incorporate their Catholicism, their traditions into our um, school, I think that was very important. Also to identify our our families, bring in their gifts, um, but also just consider them another part of us. Do you have a specific example of like a story or something that you all have celebrated that has been... uh that has helped with yeah, that integration? Yeah, so we, um, this year, or this past year, excuse me, were able to do posadas as a school. And that was very exciting because, one, we, it wasn't just about that day, that because we just did it, like, one day here at the school. Um, but the all the teachers got involved as far as teaching about the posadas. Um, we really wanted something for Advent that wasn't just, like, a Christmas program. We wanted something that was intentionally Advent versus Christmas. Like preparation for Christmas, right. We're preparing. We're not yet at the birth of Christ. And so we, because we have a Catholic identity committee here at at the school. And so I just, I was like, well, we do that. We do that. We we have something (laughs) perfect for that. I said, it's called the Posadas. And they were like, well, what's that? And I said, well, we're, we dress up sometimes as Mary's Joseph. Sometimes we have the statue. Mary's pregnant and they're trying to find a place for her um, to have Jesus. And they're like, well, that's perfect. I said, and there's food. And they're like, well, that's even better. <laughs> um, so we ended up incorporating the posadas into as far as like lesson planning and um, like the music teacher, she learned the songs and, and we practiced those and the kids would practice those. And we, I wasn't, I had Santiago went before, so I didn't actually get to be here to experience it. Oh yeah. I was, I was, uh, they said I was going to have to be Mary if I was here, if I made it. Yeah. That would have been good if you waited. Um, yeah. If I waited till then, but Everyone that was here, and from what I've heard, they they loved it. Um, they they want to do it again this year, and um, it was just something that I think was great for our Hispanic community that we could bring in this amazing tradition that was family centered and that the kids could recognize something that happened at home. They they were seeing happen at school, mm-hmm. and I I think our Hispanic kids don't always see that, and so right. it was it was just something I thought that was great that all the teachers stepped in, the families were very excited mm-hmm. about, and and now we can just make it it's a Hispanic tradition, but now it can become a holy name tradition. That, that sounds great. Now I'm sure we will have guests talk about Las Posadas in a parish setting, but do you have any resources that we could share with our audience as far as teaching yes 
like you said, lesson plans or the music teaching and stuff like that? Yeah, we have. So if um, it's actually, there's a website called Teachers Pay Teachers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And teacherspayteachers.com. And even if you look up, on, and that's where we got our stuff because there was already something put together oh, okay. um, that someone else had already used. And it was, there was a version in English and a version in Spanish. And it was a uh, this little booklet. Uh, that the kids could color in. And if you just look up Las Posadas on Teachers Pay Teachers. Yeah, we'll link to that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it has um, a little bit, kind of, and it's it's for younger, for younger kids, I would say probably kindergarten through fifth grade. Um, you'd need something more for the older kids. But for the younger kids, it's this little booklet and it explains all different parts of the Posadas. Um, it has words in Spanish, but there's an English version. So the teachers in their religion class would teach with that. And then when the kids would come to my Spanish class, I would use the Spanish version. And Great. We, would, we would do that. So yeah. And, and, and then the music was bilingual. And so that's online as well. All right. So how long have you been in the Madrina position now? So I started uh, in Holy Name at Holy Name. This is going to be my third year. And so I've been serving that long all right. So in these three years, I'm sure you've learned a lot. What kind of advice would you have for a madrina just starting out? Things that you've learned that you would change if you had it to do again or that you have changed as you've gone along? Okay. At first, I would contact information. I mean, that's just super important. Gathering contact information? Yes. Yes. Okay. Having a list and a good cell phone number <laughs> for, for families because these families are constantly getting emails from parents and that's not always accessible um, for many reasons, as far as internet, um, if it's in English and it needs to be translated. So my, my thing would be right away contact information and, and then um, actually either make a phone call or send a text to that family. Just say, Hey, if you need something, um, let me know. And I will relay it to the teacher or the office. I think that's very important because then you you establish that that network right away, and and that helps when when as you're going and you're learning. Okay, what am I? What is my function in all this? Um, for example, I, we were talking earlier. Someone was needing help as far as um, charges in the cafeteria and getting kind of that stuff taken care of, and I right away can just text the mom and she knows she can text me. Um, Mm -hmm. And and that's also another thing, uh, the trust factor that I think is very important um, to start uh, building and developing trust uh, with, with the families that you're working with. We'll continue with my interview with Susie in just a moment, but I want to take a minute to tell you more about my free ebook. It's called Five Cultural Differences You Need to Know to Succeed in Hispanic Ministry. It goes through five dimensions of culture, comparing the prevailing culture in the U.S. with Hispanic Latino culture. And it gives concrete examples of how these differences play out in ministry settings. One of the things we dive into is the focus on relationships that Susie has explained are so crucial to the Madrina's model. You can download this free ebook today by heading over to the show notes at pattycc.com slash two. Now let's continue my conversation with Susie Solorza. 
What's one way that you've built that trust? Other than you're part of the parish, so some people already knew you, but let's say a new family moves in and you have to build that trust from the ground up. What do you do usually? Yeah, so we've had a couple new families that I didn't know, um, but you're right. I'm part of the parish, so it was kind of easy in that regard for the families that were here. But the new families, um, I invite them to my classroom. (laughs) Um, Sometimes I might not see them out. So that's harder if you don't have an office, but inviting them in and just kind of, oh, hey, like, how's it going with your your son or daughter? Um, Did you know that we have T-shirts for sale? Um, cause they, um, get to wear, um, a, a special kind of t-shirt on Friday. Um, that kind of thing, like inviting them into my, my space, whatever that may be, whether that's your house or your classroom or your office, inviting them in and just kind of talking to them, I think is very important because then they know that you're on their side. Um, yeah. and, and you have some resources that they could use. I think that's, um, important once you've established contact. Yeah. Is there any way that you've seen uh, something that has just blown you away from this experience or God has shown up in a way that really surprised you? All the time. <laughs> yeah. All the time. <laughs> like it's something that your expect- it just exceeded your expectations yeah. for what you thought was going to work yeah. or not work. Well, I guess, okay, well, I ha- we had a family in, in the parish at the school that the dad all of a sudden I don't know if they've ever really figured out what happened, but he, he was this, a perfectly healthy man. Uh, he was in the middle of working. And then all of a sudden, I don't think it was a stroke, but it, he had something happen to him and he was paralyzed mm-hmm. from the legs down. Wow. And, and he was the main breadwinner for the family. And so, um, and then it became where the mom, even if she, she was, she could work, but then she had to take care of him. And so yeah. it was like, and they had two girls, one in high school and one was here. And, and so they, they, they couldn't work. And, um, our teachers just, the, the, the daughter that was here didn't really want to talk about it. She wasn't really, mm-hmm. the, the teachers had kind of heard that something was happening and they're like, we, we want to do something. What can we do? And so, I was talking to that the family and saying, okay, so what's kind of, what, what do you guys need? And they were like, oh, they really didn't want to say anything. I was like, well, just tell me, like, what can we help you with? And they're like, well, I mean, and anything at this point, anything. And so I told them, okay. And I told the teachers and the teachers organized um, for the whole school. They didn't say it was for this family. They was just, they just said it was for family, a family in need or families in need, but uh, a camp food drive. Mm-hmm. And so they organized this camp food drive and did a penny war to collect um, money. And we were able to fill up the back of their pickup truck with all this, sorry, with a lot of food. Oh, that's great. And yeah. um, it's so helpful to have somebody like you to be that bridge where you yeah. you can talk to the family and then the teachers can come to you and there there's that perfect bridge. Exactly. So hey, you are gente puente. <laughs> Way to go, Susie. No, awesome. and, and that's what I, I tell the administration and the teachers. It's like the, you guys were already there working. I was just exactly what you're saying. I was just that link. You know, like I was just that part. And that's yeah. what madrinas do. They're just that last piece of the puzzle. Um, that needs to connect because I could have seen that that family taking their kids out of Catholic school very easily in this time of yep. need and not saying 
to anybody uh-huh. why, because nobody really had that rapport with the family to be able exactly. to talk about it. So way to oh, go, Susie. <laughs> I can see that it's a, a really great position for you. Um, okay. I want to hear uh, in general, now we've talked about that one specific project yes. that you do, but is there anything you want to share about your ministry in general, what you're excited about, what's been challenging yeah. or how people can yeah, find out yeah, more? So we, I don't, I, I wake up every day and I say, okay, Lord, I'm your, your hands, your feet, your voice. What, what, what do I need to do with them? And uh, every day it's something different, especially at school with kids. And so um, j- just my ministry in general, sometimes it's, it's helping more with, with social issues. And I know you've done this a lot too. Sometimes it's going to the doctor um, finding someone a doctor. Um, sometimes it's finding a bus route for a family so the kids can get to school in the mornings. Um, educating families about college. I think that's a huge one for me, helping our, our kids get to college and our Hispanic kids in, in the parish and, and educating parents on how we can make that possible. Um, we, we've had a lot of dreamers who, um, who who weren't so sure about whether they were going to be able to get into college. And so yeah. uh, just working with them and trying to, to make that a reality, whether it's just even like educating them about the FAFSA and then just saying, hey, you can come to my classroom, we'll fill it out um, and we'll get that done. And, oh, okay, so they can do that. Are these kids that were in Holy Name and now they've moved up to high school and they come back and meet yeah, with you? Yeah, are um, you referring to? It's generally kids that have been to Holy Name, but the the reason I connect with them is not because I was their teacher, but just because they're at the parish, and so I'll see them, yeah, and I'll just oh, so what are you doing? Like I know they're closer to the end of high school, so I'll just be like, hey, what are you? What yeah, are your plans yeah. for next year? So you stayed in touch with that because Holy Name only goes up to yes, eighth grade. Yeah, is that right? Holy Name just goes to eighth. Gotcha. So when they when they get older and you see, I'm like, okay, so what's what's next? Like, what's your plan? Like, do you want to go to technical school? Like, what what do you? And so getting connected with them yeah. and then just talking to parents like, hey, did you know that this kind of scholarship is available for your son or daughter? And um, so I, th- I think that's important to always just be trying to find educational opportunities for our families um, and trying to get the whole the whole family on board. And, um, yeah. uh, and parenting, that's another one as far as... Um, um, what I want to do with my, with my ministry, helping um, parents um, kind of find their place and their role um, outside of that network that they were used to as far as parenting and, um, and coming mm-hmm. to a completely new place where the roles are upside down <laughs> as far as parenting sometimes. Yeah. And, and so working with that as well. So bridging that cultural gap of maybe they came from a village where everybody chipped in and raised children together as a big family unit. And then here, maybe they're alone or they don't have anyone else from their town or other extended yes, family. Yeah, Is that exactly. What you mean? Trying to, trying yeah. to help them navigate those parenting waters that I'm learning now more about. <laughs> right. Yes. Now you get to experience them firsthand. 
Well, one of our goals with the Gente Puente podcast is to create a community and an encouraging space where we can support each other as ministers. So you've been in ministry now for several years, and you think you can share something that maybe you've learned about being a leader in ministry or how to balance ministry with the other aspects of your life or how you nurture your own relationship with God, something like Um, that? I think when it comes to serving Something I had to learn, it, it wasn't always about what I wanted in the sense that maybe I saw a need and I was really, I was like, oh, let's have this program or um, let's do it this way and it'll be great because I enjoyed it when I was a youth or because mm-hmm. uh, I heard about it and it sounds great. And, and sometimes that's not what the community needs. And so mm-hmm. as a minister, I've learned, okay. Take yourself out of it for a second. Um, not not necessarily like eliminate yourself from the equation in the sense that you should always be evaluating what your gifts and talents are. So what can you bring to the table? Um, but where mm-hmm. where does where can where does that need to go? Um, what kind of like being in touch with what the community correct. is asking for or what kind of needs? Yeah, yeah. Like presenting. what is yeah. what are what are families dealing with? Um, just, yeah, just what, what do you, I need to do, um, to help. And so that was, cause sometimes I wanted to implement what I thought was important or what I needed. And instead I needed to step back and say, mm-hmm. okay, that's, that's what I want. And that's, that's fine. And I can voice that, but what, what is everyone else voicing or is everyone else voicing what they need? Like, cause a lot of times, and I've seen that, um, sometimes with, with a lot of Hispanic mothers, they don't voice their needs because they're taking care of their children. And I've seen that lately where I've Mm had a mom who injured her foot (laughs) and she's been walking around with foot hurt for a month Mm -hmm. and it's still swollen and it wasn't getting better. And I, I thought we need to, we need to take care of you. You you need to take care of you too. (laughs) Um, Cause I mean, she's a, she's an amazing mom right. and an amazing woman. So and hard. so yeah. it's like, okay, how can we, how can we take care of you? And so try, I guess just trying to be aware of what your community needs, um, I think is very important. Yeah. Well, thank you, Susie. We could do this for hours, I'm sure, but we're, well, yeah, we're almost out of time. But I did want to ask you if you could end with a few words of encouragement and maybe a short prayer for other people who are in ministry. Maybe they're brand new and they just don't know where they're going yet, or maybe they're hitting some kind of difficult wall right now and they just need to be encouraged. Okay. Um, I would say you are going to get tired. Um, this work is exhausting, but it is so worth it. It is so worth every late night. It, it is so worth every weekend, um, every, every crazy hour of the day that you have to work and every unexpected thing that you have to do is worth it because we have to be there for these families. You're a minister for some reason. Um, you might not know it yet, and it might not be apparent, but God put you in this position of ministering because you have something to give. And there are people who have have nothing, and are and we need to, to be there. And so 
as a minister, uh, just keep going sometimes. <laughs> That's all we have, um, maybe after a crazy week or a crazy weekend um, of, of being at a retreat or um, being away from our families so that we could um, be doing a young adult thing or, or, or whatever. I, I work with youth, but wherever you're working, mm-hmm. um, just it's important to keep going. And so um, I guess my prayer would always be to the Holy Spirit. Because um, the Holy Spirit is the one that's leading us, and so sometimes we don't always know, always know where that the, the Holy Spirit is leading us, but we know we're in good hands. Um, okay, I'll close this in prayer. Holy Spirit. Uh, Holy Spirit, I ask you to guide us as we stumble in the direction that you need us to go. I ask that as we are walking, walking with those that we are ministering, that you are the one leading, that we are doing the walking and we are there in the everyday moments, but we know that you are leading us towards something greater. Um, Lord, help us as we minister to those in need and help us be ministered uh, when we need it as well. Amen. Amen. And the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Thank you very much. What an awesome interview, wasn't it? I just love Susie. She's always so upbeat and positive and makes us all smile. During her interview, she mentioned our next guest, Anne Flaherty. Anne has played a crucial role of laying the groundwork for the success of the Madrina's model across the Diocese of Owensboro, Kentucky. For the sake of time, I did have to cut down the length of this interview, but if you want to read the entire interview, you can find it in the show notes. Anne also mentioned Sister Fran Wilhelm several times. She's an Ursuline sister, and Sister Fran was the pioneer of Hispanic ministry in the Diocese of Owensboro and the Owensboro area. She tirelessly served immigrants in the community for 25 years through her ministry, Centro Latino. She's now retired, but continues to be an inspiration to all of us. Now, let's hear from my conversation with Ann Flaherty, Superintendent of Catholic Schools in the Diocese of Owensboro. Hi, Ann. Welcome to the Gente Puente podcast. Thank you for inviting me, Patty. I'm excited. Great. First of all, will you tell us a little bit about you and how you got involved in ministry and then your position in the diocese and a little bit about the reality that you work in, the school system and the diocese as a whole? Please. I am an educator and have been, I will hit my 40th, uh, I've finished my 40th year in January. I've worked as a teacher. I have uh, worked as a guidance counselor, academic counselor, an assistant principal, principal assistant superintendent, and I'm now the superintendent in the Diocese of Owensboro for the Catholic schools. There are 17 across the diocese. We are a mission diocese. So what that means is um, generally, except for in about two or three counties, we have a single digit, di- digit percentage of Catholics. So we're working very hard to not only keep our schools open, but to grow them and hopefully one day add to those. Um, As far as Hispanic ministry, 
I was introduced to the Hispanic ministry in my first year as assistant superintendent. Uh, Mr. Mattingly, our superintendent at the time, uh, invited me to attend a workshop um, put on by Notre Dame's Madrina uh, program in the Diocese of Evansville. And that was Dr. Daryl Hagan, the superintendent of the Diocese of Evansville, that invited us to that day. All right. Well, thank you. So tell us a little bit about what it's been like implementing the Madrina program locally. It has been a long journey. Um, Once we came back from that workshop on March the 8th in 2013, we talked all the way back about what direction it needed to take. So the first thing I did was start researching. And um, Father Joe Caporo has put out a lot of uh, books and research on it. And so I read and taught myself um, about what you need to do to move schools and or dioceses forward. I, the first thing I did um, was, well, I learned that the, the number one most important um, aspect or criteria, if you want to build uh, the Madrina's model is relationship with Latinos. That is the most important aspect when you want to, when to bring them into your school. So what I did was took Luisa Hood Jr., who was the Hispanic youth minister at the time, and we visited all four of the Owensboro Catholic schools, uh, schools and the central office. And we introduced the model to the administrators and to secretaries, because I had also read that your foyer, your entrance, the signage, the welcoming atmosphere that you had um, to any families, to any Latino families was very important. So I wanted secretaries to know that Luis, hopefully who could serve as a padrino at the time, would be welcomed if he brought people in. Kevin Caulfield, the chancellor, was on board, so he asked me to write a grant, a Catholic Extension grant, um, so that uh, one of our schools, a principal and two teachers, and that would have been St. Mary Elementary in Paducah, could attend the four-day workshop at Notre Dame, bring back what they learned from that two-year program. It, it, what happens is that you attend four days at Notre Dame. They assign you a mentor, and that was Yvonne Schwab from Ohio, who had a, who implemented the Madrina's model and was very successful. And she mentors those three people through the next school year. And then the principal attends um, a workshop in Arizona that's several days long as well the next year so that she can take it to the next level. So we were, I was successful with that grant. So that was, that was the next step. And then um, I thought, you know what, we have two successful programs here in the diocese, one at Holy Name and another at Bowling Green. Father Andy then went to um, St. Joseph Bowling Green, where he worked with Jan Lang, the principal there, and brought in not only Hispanics, uh, families, but Burmese families as well. So we're ministering to both uh, immigrants and refugees. And I have found that the pastor is the absolute most important key and link to mm-hmm. Catholic school enrollment of Hispanic families. So I've learned that through experience. If you don't have their backing, it's really hard to move forward. And then secondly, you need to have the administrator or the principal on board as well. Um, I met with your husband, Chris, because it one of the other um, successful aspects of Madrina's program is that you actually go to uh, Spanish masses at parishes where Hispanics attend. 
And so I worked with Chris and Father Carl McCarthy to see if we might be able, Ken Rasp and I, the director at OCS, might come to the Hispanic Mass there at St. Joseph and Paul and bring Susie along. And so we all got together and um, attended and and went and ate afterwards. And then we met in the parish hall after that. Sister Fran came and brought a couple of families and we talked and Susie was uh, my um, translator. So that was another obstacle that we came across. We don't have many uh, bilingual speakers in our schools and we're working hard. Susie has put in a lot of work of translating all kinds of school admissions, uh, paperwork, financial aid paperwork. She has worked to uh, translate for those that can't speak Spanish. So she's helped us with that quite a bit in the past before she moved to Holy Name as Spanish teacher there and there Madrina there. Um, And then we asked Susie and Lisa Clark, the principal who got the opportunity to attend Notre Dame's Latino Enrollment uh, Institute, to talk to all of our administrators in the diocese at the annual um, Lake Barkley Mid-South Leadership Conference and Retreats to to talk about cultural differences and similarities and the Notre Dame Madrinas program. Then I wrote, like I said, the second grant for Holy Name. And this time, Latino Enrollment Initiative has figured out that the pastor is key as a principal. So the grant this time was for the pastor, principal, and one teacher to attend. And we were successful in that grant. They attended uh, and and went through the two-year program with Notre Dame and um, then brought all that information back and gave that to Susie, who they hired as their new madrina. That was the great gift of their education, the LEI program. And she uh, now is carrying the ball and following in her father's footsteps, which is absolutely beautiful. The diocese has been important. Their support, the bishop, Bishop Medley, is fully in support of this. In fact, when the new president at Owensboro Catholic School was hired and he met with Bishop Medley, that would be Tom Lilly, he said, my my biggest request of you is to enroll immigrants and refugees. So um, what he has done, well, Sister Suzanne uh, Sims brought uh, a dozen Burmese from St. Pius and has enrolled them in Owensboro Catholic Schools this year. So we're branching out a little bit. The diocese also supported a workshop called Building Intercultural uh, Ministries. Building Intercultural Competencies for Ministers. (laughs) Go ahead. And we had a lot of our um, administrators, several of our administrators attended that as well. So um, we came, it took a while. It, it actually took several years to get us to this point. Um, I've continued to meet with as there's turnover in directors for OCS and, or administrators across the diocese. We have to sometimes start over again and building um, this program, but it has been successful across the United States and it can be successful. So in, in our schools and we're seeing it slowly, slowly uh, take place in Owensboro Catholic schools. So and I was, I actually, I, did, I left this part out when we had director after Ken Rasp. Um, I talked to him about enrolling a family and sister Fran had called me and said, I have a family of young ladies that want to transfer. So I assisted with getting them 
enrolled in Owensboro Catholic Schools as well. So little bit by little bit, we're making forward progress. I think the two biggest obstacles are financial aid. And if we can get this scholarship tax credit passed in the state of Kentucky, this new report that comes out from Boston College, that is one of the um, strategies to overcome the financial aid obstacle with enrolling Latino families in our Catholic schools. So if we can get that passed, and I worked very hard on that last year with Catholic Conference of Kentucky, which represents the four bishops in Kentucky, met with legislators in Frankfurt and uh, started our very first rally in Madisonville. So I, I kind of took a turn last year into the financial aid piece. And then we, we are working on the other big obstacle, and that's having bilingual administrators, secretaries, um, administrative assistants, teachers in buildings that can assist as well. So I know that was a long answer to your short question, but that's kind of the history and the pros and the cons. Yeah. Okay. So let's. Uh get a little more information about how you've overcome that first obstacle of the money. So I think what I hear you saying is that you set up a scholarship fund. Can you explain to me a little bit how that works logistically, uh, both at the parish level and then, I mean, the schools that are run by one parish and then with the OCS, that's a consolidated system. How does it work uh, logistically? How has that okay. overcome that barrier? And there's two pieces to that. So let me start with the, what we started with first, and that's financial aid. There's a few pieces to that. First of all, we use a company, almost all of our schools use a company outside of uh, the schools to equitably uh assign um, financial aid to families in based on need. Um, well, the majority, not all, but the majority mm-hmm. do that. So what we've done is, is Susie and now the companies have, have actually stepped up and started providing materials in um, Spanish in different languages. And so we usually have someone sit with like Susie or um, like Sister Suzanne with the Burmese and, and walk through that, that process. So that's one way. Father Brad and I talked about funds within the school system um, Death just designated for immigrants and refugees, both at the parish level, which he started, and at the um, school level. If it's a parish uh, need, then you would see your pastor, and the pastor will access that uh, pool of funds. If it was a school need, uh, like in the past with Central Catholic schools, then you would talk to the director or the president now because we took a little different um turn in our administrative position at OCS, that you would talk to the president and you would present your need and he would access that pool of money to assist with financial aid. So that's now, after you've already gone through the origin, the, the first enrollment. round of um, asking for financial aid through the third party. Yes, that's correct. Oh, okay. That's gotcha. correct. And then the scholarship, um, the scholarship tax credit what that is, is, is the state, once that's already available through the federal government, but the state has to approve it as well. And they're already, probably half of the states in the United States already have some type of school choice, be it a scholarship, a tax credit, or a voucher. So in Indiana, the mall. So working really hard in Kentucky to move that forward, because that will open up a huge, huge ability to meet the needs of Hispanic families. And what that is, is corporations or individuals that um, 
are financially stable and wealthy, they will contribute to um, a scholarship granting organization. Our diocese has that set up. Louisville has been doing it for several years, the Archdiocese of Louisville. Um, and that it, it, what happens is what happens is that they will give money to that scholarship granting organization. It goes into that pot or pool of funds. And then because it's a donation, then the state will give them tax credits, which decreases the amount of taxes that they have to pay. So that's what we're working on in Kentucky is to get that passed. So then to access that money, I'll, I'll move to Archdiocese of Louisville and they do. You fill out basically an application like you would for a college that states that you need a certain amount of funds to attend the Archdiocese of Louisville Catholic Schools, and then they will award you scholarships to attend. And that's how they've increased the number of Hispanics in their Catholic schools in Louisville. So um, we are, that's what we want to do. We are working hard on that. That's where most of my energies went last year to get that scholarship tax credit passed. And we almost made it. If it, if it wouldn't been for the pension crisis, we probably would have gotten the vote to pass that. So we're going to work real hard on it again this year as well. Mm-hmm. So currently individuals or organizations can, or businesses can already donate. It just isn't a tax credit, right? It's just a charitable donation that they can make. Yes. And that's what happened at Our Lady of Lourdes under Father Brad as pastor of Lourdes and Episcopal Vicar of OCS. And that's what happened when OCS's school board said, uh, school council heard this as well and started fun there. Um, I'm not sure if they've expended all those funds. I don't know know if they've replenished those funds, but Tom Lilly would know. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm hearing also that you have, you, you've seen that some pastors have kind of filled or associate pastors have filled the role of madrina or padrino, uh, some Hispanic ministers in that already work for the parish, um, they have stepped into that role. And in Susie's case, for example, a teacher that has stepped into the role or in the past was her father. What are some other situations that you've seen? uh, Who has been the madrina or padrino and how has that worked or the pros and cons of who you have in that position? Well, our goal is, and we haven't yet achieved this except for once, and that was Susie's father as padrino. Our goal is to have a mother in the community, in the Hispanic community that is well-connected, has good relationship with the Hispanic community that um, would enroll her, she and her husband would enroll their children in the school and then serve as that madrina. That's, that's our goal because honestly, based on my research and what everyone's told me, it's about relationship. And it's just like when I moved into town, I didn't know where to move when, when I moved, when we moved to Owensboro, moved our family here. I didn't know what school to attend and you don't have, I didn't have anyone that I knew here. So you don't know who to talk to. And so you just kind of go with the flow. This Madrina would serve as this, this mother or grandmother or grandfather would serve as the connection between the Hispanic community and the school. That's our goal. We have not yet arrived at that level. Abraham Brown at Holy Name has been awesome as well. That interconnection of the parish and all of its staff and the school and all of its staff has been uh, fabulously successful. 
but we have not yet got to the point where we have a Madrina or a Padrino other than Mr. Salarza, uh, who has served in that role for us. That's what we would like to see happen. And we would also like to see that person be a part of the school council. We need Hispanics on our councils in roles of leadership. We would like to see a Hispanic principal or or teachers or secretaries or part-time secretaries or whatever um, a Hispanic person would be called to do in the role of Catholic school, because that makes, that gives us a bilingual person in the school building. Um, Right now we're dependent upon people that have been called to the Hispanic ministry in the diocese, either through diocesan roles, parish roles, uh, school roles. That's, that's where we're at now. So we're trying to, that's, that's our push is to trying to get somebody with leadership ability that has good relationships with the Hispanic community connected closely connected to the school and respected by the school, even has space in the school to set up shop so that she can, she or he can minister to um, the community, their community. So we're not there yet. We're we just open and praying still. Yeah. One thing that I love listening to you talk is the long-term vision that you have, that you know that there's a lot that has to happen in the background and you've done years and years of prep work that for another person, it might seem like nothing's happening, nothing's happening. Maybe it's easy to give up, but you're saying we have to, we have to um, prepare the ground in a way over these years. We have to have the key leaders in schools and the diocese understanding the cultural aspects of it, the relationship and bringing the people into schools so that they get to know the leaders in the parish, for example, with the Hispanic ministers or whoever it is. And even now you're like, well, this is what we're doing now. We're seeing some progress, but this is where we're headed. There's still a long-term goal that you know it's going to take. Can you give some words of encouragement to other people who maybe are superintendents or in administration of a, of a school in sticking with it or the ways that you've seen gifts over the years and little glimpses of hope that you can see that this is actually producing fruit and that it was worth all of those years of effort? Yes. Honestly, the first thing that all of us need to understand is that over 70%, about 70% of American Catholics under the age of 35 are Latino and they are, and 67% of practicing Catholics aged 18 to 34 our Latino. So the future of our church lies in our Hispanic culture, in our Hispanic people. They are going to bring us hope. They are going to see a change in our church, a much needed change in our church, bringing back the importance of Our Lady of Guadalupe, the Blessed Mother, bringing back the relational aspect of practicing and worshiping and 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 serving in our church. We we don't have a choice. This is where the future of our church lies. If we don't jump on board and work, then we are remiss in our duties as practice, not just as those that work for the church, but as practicing Catholics, we are remiss. You go to church and you look around. It's a bunch of us. And I'm talking about me in my sixties. We are a bunch of gray hairs, unless we color our hair, of course. But yes, that's, that's for the most part, we need our Hispanic families. We need to become one community. So it's been worth every single 
minute of it. And my, my, I'm not going to stop my goal when I retire and it won't be in the long term. It's going to be in the short term with my age, but my goal is to work with this, continue to work with the Hispanic community, possibly in the area of tutoring. Possibly I am not bilingual, but working with, you know, welcoming families, maybe walking families through schools and introducing them to all of the people I know. Um, I'm not going to quit because that is the future of our church. And I love our church. I love Christ. And I see that as in the American church, this is the, this is the route that, that Jesus and the Holy Spirit has us walking. And if, if you aren't on the path, then you're missing the boat. What is, what is the, the, um, Moments. What are the moments of joy? Well, when I get to walk through Owensboro Catholic High School, Owensboro Catholic Middle School, and I get to see the three young ladies and with whom I sat when we were filling out paperwork and talking to the director of Owensboro Catholic Schools, talking to each one of them individually and seeing them smile and glow and talk about the things they've gotten involved in, cross country and, and uh, what they like most about the school, and what courses they're taking and their great grades. That, 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 that is the ultimate joy for me to be succeeding and and being involved in a school where they are still a minority but yet they figured out how to share what they have with those that are around them that that's the joy for me yeah well thank you and it's been a pleasure and I really appreciate you taking the time to share your experience of the madrina or padrinos program as you have called it and I hope that it continues and we can see those long-term fruits soon but I really appreciate you sharing what you have learned so far and I'm sure it's going to be really helpful for other administrators and for other superintendents so thank you you're welcome it's been a joy. Isn't Anne great? She gets so fired up talking about welcoming Latinos into our church and the Catholic schools. You just gotta love her. Here are some key takeaways from today's interviews. Number one, relationships and building trust are at the center of the Madrina's model and successfully making Hispanics feel welcome, whether that's in the parish or in the schools. Two, One of the blessings of attracting Hispanic families is helping them to share their gifts and faith and traditions, which enrich the entire school and the parish. Susie shared a lot of resources about the Posadas, as well as some resources for helping Hispanic youth attend college, which are all found in the show notes. Three, the support of pastors and school administration, as well as the bishop and diocesan personnel, are key to the successful implementation of the Madrina's model. Four, once that support is there, the two biggest obstacles are financial aid and finding bilingual staff members in the schools. Five, the best way to overcome the first is to set up targeted scholarship funds, which is easier when your state has a scholarship tax credit. You can check out Ed Choice Kentucky if you want to support this credit in Kentucky and learn more about it. Six, it takes time to see progress. Incremental change over a sustained period of time. It's not going to happen overnight, but all the hard work will be worth it when you can be part of building the future of the Catholic Church supporting Hispanic Latino children and their education. I hope you received a lot from these interviews too. 
If you want to donate toward Ed Choice Kentucky, you can find the link in today's show notes, along with links of all the resources mentioned in this episode, including my free ebook on Hispanic culture. Pick up your copy today at pattycc.com slash two. And don't forget to join the Gente Puente Facebook group to be part of our growing family of Catholic leaders who share their experiences and encourage one another. You can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash Gente Puente. Or just look for Gente Puente on Facebook. In the next episode, we will hear about setting up a safety plan for immigrants from a pastor who has now experienced two immigration raids in two different parishes where he has been serving. He shares practical advice about what has helped and what he has learned. So don't forget to subscribe to the podcast Gente Puente on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or your favorite podcast app so you do not miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening today. May God bless you and your ministry as Gente Puente.